This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or an online store. Create your own space today by visiting squarespace.com and use offer code TREK9 to save 10%. And also by TrekFan, where you'll explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. Put your love for Trek into action by visiting trekfan.org and help us move the world one step closer to the Star Trek future. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm slash donate to get our new alien badges and art prints featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. taking all these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek books and comics podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me once again, as he is every single week, is my co-host Matthew Rushing. Matthew, what is happening for you this week? Well, Chris, not too much happening. Uh, A lot of work, a lot of, feel busy at work, so that's going on. And, uh, you know, um, gearing up, obviously, for college football season, so that's coming up soon. And um, really just ready for fall to roll around, you know? Uh, it's it's still rather hot here in Dallas, and so I'm just ready for some cooler weather, but that usually doesn't happen until November, so I've got a while. Now, it's starting to feel like autumn here at last. It's still hot, it's still warm, but the air is starting to have that autumn feel, which I love so much. And of course... The football season kicks off tomorrow as we're recording this. Another sign of the season for me is when the autumn beers hit the shelves here mm, in Japan. Yes. We have a lot of different beers that are just for autumn. I saw a picture of you, I believe. Was that with a Samuel Adams Oktoberfest brew a while back? It was. Uh, I, I have been enjoying some of the Oktoberfest that come out. So I love a good Samuel Adams. Uh, there is a brewery here in texas called shiner and their october fest is fantastic really enjoy their october fest and so i had some of that this evening with my dinner um so that is really one of my favorite parts of the this time of year is all of the october fests that come out here uh, in the states and then of course they get imported and, and i just i just drink them up they're so good same here the problem of course is that they release them very early yes and I think here they release them based on the traditional Japanese calendar of when the season starts, uh, because for us here, traditionally, it would already be autumn, even though it's not yet, you know, autumn by by our calendar. And so what happens is that by, I don't know, once you're into October, they're already sold out. And then in November, we get the, the winter beers. And I'm like, it's still autumn. I want my beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so it's a lot of fun. In fact, a few years ago, did a uh, 5K at Oktoberfest here in, in Addison, Texas. And uh, after the run, they gave you pizza, beer, and pretzels, which was fantastic because 
after a good run like that, you're hungry. The beer yeah. fills you up with some great carb carbs too. And so, uh, yeah, that was a that was a great 5K right there. So Oktoberfest 5K, I thought it was like, you know, you come around the stretch and you run by the table and instead of handing you water, they hand you a big beer. Yeah, it was really hard to run with that stein. Um, I That's It weighed right. me down. Um, I felt like I was going to drop it. There's a lot of glass on the road from the people that had dropped theirs. So it was kind of like, you know, running through a minefield, but definitely worth it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into people are saying, I thought this was a Star Trek podcast, not a beer cast. <laughs> but uh, let's jump into our news here. We don't have much news today, just a couple of items. And then we're going to talk about the original series Missions End comics. And uh, which, by the way, Matthew, is that's why my screen name today is Chris Four Eyes Jones. I'm not making fun of myself because I wear glasses. I have four eyes, just like the spiders that we're going to talk about in the Missions End comics. This is true. This is true. Um, and I caught that. I was I was glad that we weren't making fun of people who wear glasses because I also wear glasses uh, sometimes. And so I just I would have taken offense to that. But I knew that you were referencing the comic and I felt completely OK with this. So um, luckily, no therapy will be needed by me because of this show. And the fact that I wear glasses as well. So I would exactly. Be yes. Intentionally offending myself. <laughs> All right. Well, you know who you really, really don't want to offend, Matthew? Those are the Klingons, and they are the topic of our first news item today. They are. It's really exciting. Uh, Keith the Candido is back writing a new Star Trek book called The Klingon Art of War. Now, I know we've all heard of Sun Tzu's The Art of War, but this is The Klingon Art of War. And as the blurb says, for Klingons... Battle is a dance, a way of living with dignity and purpose. This is the central concept and heart of Klingondom, honor. So this book is really going to lay out these principles for us finally of what it means to be a Klingon, their kind of code of conduct in life, uh, their behavior, their history. Uh, I'm excited that Krat is getting a chance to come back and, and write a book. Um, it's really good to have him back. And I know uh, he has a huge heart for the Klingons and their culture, writing his, his uh, Klingon series as he did. So this should be fantastic. I, I think Trek fans all over the world rejoiced. Well, definitely there are many Trek fans who love, love, love the Klingons. So this book will definitely be something that they'll want to pick up. And yeah, it's interesting that it's not a novel. It's actually a more like a history book, right? Like a, a cultural history book. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what is going to be in there as they talk about, you know, famous warships and battles and how they advance the Klingon Empire. And I don't know if there's going to be a section about Targ fighting or not, but maybe. Well, you know, Targ fighting was outlawed in the uh, early 22nd century. Uh, luckily, the, the Klingons found that they just made better pets and they got tired of Oh, you know, just the mistreating of the Targ. Um, I'm glad that they did finally because it, it really showed that, uh, oh, what, what was that, that more human side of the Klingon, uh, you know, uh, letting out there. I mean, we call it your humanity, you know, if you do something that is is altruistic towards, you know, like some sort of animal or something. Uh, what would they call that for Klingons? Uh, it's called Klingonity. Klingonity. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. 
That makes, yeah, Klingonity. Uh, Which well, is also a fantastic board game, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound like one of those German board games. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Okay, so this is going to be coming up. Uh, we don't really know the release date for it yet, but it's uh, something that will be coming our way down the road. So we'll keep you updated on that as we get more information on it. And also, we have this in here, Matthew. Just a quick item here. Revelations and Dust is out, the beginning of the fall series. Have you picked it up yet? I have picked it up. I'm finishing another book at the moment, so it's it's waiting on my iPad to be read. And so I'm really looking forward to getting into this and uh, hopefully having David on the show uh, soon, uh, sometime next month, just to be able to talk through this uh, new book. You know, he's... Hinted a few times that he's not sure how everybody will respond to everything that's happened and everything that he's setting up uh, for the series. And so it just sounds like it's really going to be an epic series, this fall series. And so it feels like they're not going to pull any punches. So I wanted to ask you, Matthew, we talked about this quite some time ago on the show. If someone goes and they're going to pick up this book and they read the synopsis on the cover and they say, well, I don't know a lot of this stuff. I feel like I need to read something else before I can read this particular book. What's the bare minimum that someone needs to go and read in order to feel like they know enough to kind of know what's going on here and not just be spoiled in the future if they go back and read more? You know, Chris, uh, that is a great question. Um, Actually, on our forums, I had written uh, a post on getting ready for the fall. I tried to make it as bare minimum as possible. But, I mean, if you have not been keeping up at all with the books, um, you know, there were at least, I believe, uh, I'm trying to think back to that post, I believe there's at least 15 books on there. Uh, maybe 12 to 15. But uh, the main reason for that is there's just a lot of information, a lot that's gone on since uh, when a really basically, you know, the end of Nemesis, you know, I was kind of making the jumping off point for anyone, the end uh, of the Destiny series um, and everything that's happened after that. So um, hopefully you read up to that, you know, the Typhon Pack series books, are really important to have read to mm-hmm. to get into this because they've really been building into what the fall series is going to do. Yeah. Well, let's look at the post here real quick and we'll put a link to the post in the show notes because you did a nice job there of outlining everything for everyone. Let me just run down the list of books real quick for everyone listening. Uh, Zero Sum Game, Rough Beasts of Empire, Seize the Fire, Paths of Disharmony, the Struggle Within, Falling Gods, Plagues of Night, Raise the Dawn, Brinkmanship, The Persistence of Memory, Silent Weapons, The Body Electric, The Stuff of Dreams. So those were the ones that you listed as like really like the bare minimum. So that's a lot of reading. It is a lot of reading, um, but it really does. Um, each one of those books does something to set up what's going to be used in, in this series, I believe. The authors have, I think, been pretty intentional in this series. Um, they picked out the the five authors who have really been involved with the 24th century here uh, in the last few years and kind of building this, especially with the Typhon Pack series and uh, where they've been going. And really, it sounds like in a lot of ways, this is going to be kind of a, a wrap-up 
to a lot of what's been happening in the 24th century and kind of a jumping off point then for where they'll go next. So, right. you know, they have been doing a lot of that groundwork and, and I do apologize, but I do think that you will be much happier if you've read most of those books before you jump into the series. Uh, if you have, great, man. Just jump right in. It's already out uh, and you can get it on any of, uh, you know, your major reading devices or local bookstore. Uh, and so... I'm really excited to see what David's got in store for us. Yeah, me too. So it's it is a lot of reading to do, but it's very rewarding because they've really all the authors have worked together to really shape the Star Trek world here in the novels to work together, you know, to make sure that uh, storylines and threads don't contradict each other, and you feel like you're moving forward, and you know, it'll really carry you through. You've been missing Star Trek since it left television. And this will carry you through. And then again, here, the fall series is really going to set us up for the next big leap in the Star Trek universe. So uh, so go pick it up and uh, we will be talking about it coming up uh, down the road a little bit here on Literary Treks as well. Well, Chris, uh, we have something pretty exciting, I think. Uh, we were just looking at it before the show started. We, we do- both downloaded the Made Fire app and they've been doing these motion books, these motion comics and uh, we both looked at the original ongoing comic number one, the preview that they they gave out for free. And man, this is really exciting. I don't know, Chris, what 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 do you think about this? As we were saying when we were talking off air, it's a cool way to read comics. You know, it kind of pulls you into the comic a bit more. It's a more immersive experience. And the the preview that we've seen, I think it was done quite tastefully. You know, it wasn't... They didn't overdo it, you know, just because they have the ability to do motion or do interaction or do sound, they didn't go completely wild. So they they, they handled it tastefully. And my only concern, tell me what you think about this, is that the you have to wait for the transitions, right? Some of the panels kind of fade in and the next one comes in. And, you know, if you read very quickly... I don't know if that would start to bother you along the way or not. Mm. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Um, you know, Chris, I think that for me at least, um, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying watching the transitions and the movement and everything. And so I don't think I would feel that personally because I'd be enjoying kind of the mm-hmm. motion aspect of what they're doing. So then I would, you know, I'd be watching that and I'd be watching it finish and then I would start to read. And so I, mm. I don't know if I would get uh, pulled out or think, oh, this isn't going fast enough because every time, you you know, a panel pops up or whatever, it has a, its own little motion to it and everything and you're kind of pulled into watching what they're doing. And it, it's a whole new way of, of really getting to appreciate the artwork and everything that's going on with the the comic. I really like it. I think it's great. You know, if I didn't already have all of these comics already, um, it would be fun, I think, to to go through and read like this. I mean, the first issue of Ongoing is $1.99. So, you know, if you don't own any of these, these are a great way to get pulled into Ongoing. Um, what, a, what a very fun and exciting way to enjoy comics. And I think, too, what a great way to, um, you know, have some younger kids get pulled into comics as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to do any original content or if they're just going to do the ongoing comics. I don't imagine that they're going to do all the ongoing comics. Right. Hmm. It's just kind of like a lead into Star Trek and then 
Maybe they'll do some specific ones. It must take a lot of time to produce something like this, even though the artwork's already done. It's still, there's a lot of other work that goes into this. Well, yeah. I mean, you're you're having to take apart the artwork, you know, somehow, or and 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 you know, layer it and everything so it can like, move and like where the Enterprise is coming out towards you. Exactly. You got the space so, background. The Enterprise is kind of easing its way out towards you. Yeah. Uh, so, and then of course you're adding the sound effects. So, yeah, this is this is probably uh, a more intensive uh, per- process than than just obviously creating even just a digital comic. Uh, yeah. And so uh, I like it though. I think it's really cool. I hope everybody will check it out. I, th- I think it's one of those things that could only help just the art form of the comic um, to really come alive for people in a new way and maybe get um, them excited uh, about comics, especially if they never have been before. So I, I think this is great. Yeah, I agree. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it moving forward. And it did make me interested to maybe try out a different comic besides Star Trek and see what they do with it. You know, I might even, to make our brony friends happy, I might even try My Little Pony, at least the free preview. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Chris is going to be starting My Little Pony FM, people. Uh, Look for that coming soon. That's right. Good luck, MLP FM. That's right. (laughs) All right. So um, this is available, as we said, we downloaded the iPad app, but you can also view it over at DeviantArt. And there's um, a browser-based way of viewing it as well. So it's not just iPad. So we'll put a link to that stuff in the show notes and you can go over and check it out for yourself. Okay, Matthew, that's all we have in news. But before we jump into our spider field feature today... Let's tell everyone about our host for this week's show, Squarespace. Now, your support of our hosts is very important to helping us bring literary tricks to you every week. And we would love for you to go check out Squarespace. They are the all-in-one platform that combines hosting and content management to make it simple for you to create your own space online. And that could be an online store. It could be a blog, a website, a portfolio, pretty much anything you can imagine. And Matthew, I don't know if you've seen on regular TV there in the States or not, but we've been noticing this week Squarespace ads running during the television shows. And they're really showing you uh, with that desk layout, uh, the spot that they've had on their website for a while, which we watch similar to that, all the different things that you can do with Squarespace. Wow, that is really cool, Chris. I had not seen that before. Um, I'll have to be looking for that. One of the things that they have added recently is their e-commerce feature, which really allows you, you know, if you are somebody who wants to set up a shop to be able to sell things, their e-commerce feature makes this so simple. You can have it set up in minutes, which I, I really love, you know, for me, I'm, I'm not a coder. I'm not any of those things. And so really helping you be able to do that, set up a great looking store um, at very little hassle to yourself, especially if you're like me and you want it to look good but you don't necessarily know how to write that yourself. And all of those features uh, come together and and really give you this, uh, I'd say, unparalleled power to create a really professional quality space online with no coding knowledge. And it allows you to really focus on what matters, which is your content and what you're trying to sell. Now, at the same time, if you're somebody like you who knows what the code looks like and you want control over 100% of that, Squarespace has a fantastic developer mode as well. So you'd be able to do that. I could, I could, yeah. But but to be honest with you, I do the way you would do. One reason that I use Squarespace is because 
even though I can code, I don't really want to code. <laughs> I want to just focus on the content. So that's one reason that I love Squarespace so much. And talking about the commerce feature there, good news for our listeners in the UK, the commerce feature has been expanded now beyond the US and Canada and is now available in the UK as well. So they are branching that out to uh, locations outside of North America. So good news there. And also they've introduced a couple of additional things that will be useful for you, uh, not only for commerce, but for personal sites as well. They've introduced a donations block, so you can very easily accept donations now. And uh, they also have new product integrations as well and service product types, which means that, you know, in addition to physical or digital products, you now have a type for services as well. So, you know, if you're like me and you're a designer or you're an artist and you are promoting your services, not just your finished product, that's now part of the commerce feature as well. So wonderful news there. And also, Matthew, as we talk about here all the time, Squarespace really cares about design. They're very design-focused. They have these beautiful, clean templates that make it very easy for you to bring your content to the forefront and make it the focus of your website. Connected accounts make it very easy for you to promote your content out to the world through Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, Google+, all these different services, and not just with the simple share buttons, but by actually having it auto-tweet or sharing a page directly on Facebook, which is wonderful as well. And of course, the responsive design makes your site look beautiful, whether it's on a desktop or a mobile device. The site automatically reflows for the screen size and orientation, so you don't need to design two separate sites, just one, and it looks beautiful everywhere. And the great thing is that all of this is available to you for an amazingly low price of just $8 a month. That's the starting price. That gives you everything that you need for most people. But if you want to have unlimited bandwidth, unlimited pages, you can do the unlimited plan for $16 per month. And if you want these fantastic commerce features that we've been talking about, that's just $24 a month. And if you choose the annual plan, that includes a custom domain registration as well. And you get Squarespace's amazing 24-hour, seven-day-a-week support, which, believe me, really is fantastic. Best support I have experienced anywhere. So don't take our word for it. Try it for yourself for free. Go to squarespace.com. You can get a free 14-day trial. There's no credit card required. Just enter your name and email address. And in a matter of minutes, you'll be building your website. And if you already use a platform like WordPress, you can import your current site and see how the Squarespace tools give you everything you need to create an exceptional website. Then when you sign up, and I know you're going to want to, use our offer code TREK9 to get 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts. So support us and support Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com, use offer code TREK9 to save 10%, and we thank Squarespace for their support of Literary Treks and you for supporting Squarespace, and that helps us bring this programming to you every week. Chris, today we're going to be talking about Star Trek Missions End, uh, which was a five-part Star Trek, the original series comics, that was done by IDW and started in March 2009, um, written by Ty Templeton, and the art was by Stephen Mulnair. It depicts just the final mission of the USS Enterprise on her five-year mission under the command of James T. Kirk. Interestingly enough, though, the book that is about the end of the five-year mission begins with Kirk's very first mission with the Enterprise, which is, I think, a great way to start this book. And so, 
Chris, uh, you know, we both have, have read this now, and I've, I've read it before. I actually have the printed copy. Um, I've had this so long. I remember when it first came out, and I was really excited. But uh, what did you just think overall, uh, you know, reading through? Well, I'm reading this for the first time myself. I have it on my iPad, and uh, I've had it for quite a while, but I had not actually read it yet. And the very first thing I wrote down in my notes was, A Spider Civilization! Because I was so excited <laughs> to yeah. see this. I just thought it was interesting. It's that kind of thing that we right. talk about with comics and with animated shows where you can do things that you really can't do on television, especially with TOS in the 60s. And, you know, right away you're jumping into the story that could really only be told in comics, but yet is the kind of story when you think about the fact that life out there in the universe is not all going to be humanoid like us. And so I really enjoyed the way that they jumped in and the fact, like you just said in the opening, that we have characters here like Kelso and Dr. Piper because this initially is being set around the time of the original, well... Kirk is on the ship. Of course, Dr. Piper was in the cage. Dr. Piper was not in where no man has gone before. So this is kind of like somewhere in between those two stories. But Kirk is now on the ship and Pike isn't. Right, which is really cool. And in fact, uh, you know, I think one of the, the most fun parts is that this story just starts out with a bang. I mean, they're on this planet. It's it's jungly. Um, they're searching around and Kirk literally turns into Tarzan to <laughs> save, uh, yeah, to save Cassidy, which yeah. I just thought was amazing. And uh, he even tells her to jump up into his arms, and he s- continues swinging the other way and saves her life. And wow, a uh, five-year slow, slow courtship begins. Oh, that's true. It does because when we get to the end. She makes her move, right? Exactly, exactly. So I just think that um, you're right, though. I mean, you know, talking about the fact that you have this civilization, these spiders, it's very different. Um, everything about this this comic does what comics do best, which is give you something you can't see on television. But it's also creating a really compelling story yeah, Star Trek-wise and original series-wise. And, you know, we talked to Dayton last week just about how difficult it is to feel like you're adding anything new to these characters. And what I think that I like so much about this comic is, one, the best comics always feel like they would belong in TOS, um, the books as well, and I think this book does that. But I also think that it actually shows me something kind of new with some of the characters, especially with setting up why um, the characters will be where they are when we get to the motion picture, specifically Spock and Bones, Mm -hmm. and doing a very good job of building that into the story. And so instead of thinking to yourself, oh, okay, I kind of just know why they're doing this. I feel like you're so involved in the story and what's going on that by the time you get to the end and the revelations come by, you know, especially Bones and Spock of where they're going to go and why, it really is organic to the story. Instead of feeling like force-fed, like we have to get to this point, so we're just doing this. 
So I think that's really the thing that that jumps out at me the most just overall. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, because when we go into the motion picture, we just kind of take it for granted that, well, Spock went back to Vulcan to do his training. McCoy had resigned from Starfleet and, I, you know, had grown a beard and gotten a big ass medallion way around his neck and <laughs> stuff. So we got to take it for granted. It's a great medallion. <laughs> it is. But here we find out the reason why they left, which is it's nice when they can fill in the blanks like that. As for the spiders, I mean, I said on the one hand, I like the fact here that we see life that's not humanoid and at the same time these things it kind of reminds me of Werner Vinge novels for example where like the it's like hard sci-fi where the 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 life forms really are alien like they really are truly alien and it makes for very interesting stories but also if you stop and think like how did these insects achieve warp flight because the basic story here is that there's this planet, and I'm doing air quotes on the screen, which no one can see, and that makes for great radio. But So you should just this, go, dink, dink, you know, <laughs> makes for air quotes, dink, dink. Like this, this dink, dink, planet, dink, dink, yep. like that. Exactly. Archonar okay. 4 is not actually a planet. It's an ancient space station that has been abandoned by a crew of giants. And that's all we know about that. But just the fact that, okay, there's this crew of giants and they built a space station and they left things behind and they left insects behind. And in the absence of the previous advanced civilization that was there, these insects evolved and became sentient and then they achieved warp flight. But they literally are giant spiders and you think about how did these spiders develop science and develop warp engines and decide to explore space? It's always a little bit of a stretch for me, although I guess that's our, you know, humanoid-centric view of the world that we kind of think that you couldn't do those things if you didn't have two arms and two legs and five fingers. Yeah, it is. it is kind of, when you think about it that way, uh, you know, you do kind of end up, hmm, how does this work? And I guess I guess I was so involved in the story and I've read it before. And so when I was reading yeah. it again, I just kind of accept that it's a silly story about huge spiders. <laughs> well, you do. You do it. Just accept it. Yeah. And so it works. But whenever I read stories where there are kind of Insects, especially, that have become sentient. I always wonder about that. But but we have these spiders here, and they want to become part of the Federation, or also the Federation wants their world because they want this power source, which is at the center of everything, which is called the Heart of God. And it's really hard for me to read this without thinking Heart of Gold, the engine that powers the infinite <laughs> improbability drive in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Because that's what I keep seeing. When I read it, I keep seeing Heart of Gold. And I'm like, no, it's Heart of God. Yeah, I, I actually kind of wonder if they did that on purpose. And actually, there is a, uh, there's some pages here. I, I think it's uh, number 10 where Kirk is back on the ship finally after rescuing uh, Cassidy and he's meeting uh, Uhura and Sulu for the first time they've come aboard the Enterprise 
and there's a they're looking in this it's like a research room and has large monitors on the wall and mm-hmm. one of the monitors has a picture of the planet itself and it just looks like the death star it does so in fact which, which is really funny um there's a few kind of like a uh, I feel like those references in here, and that was one of the ones that jumped out at me. Is like, hey, so the planet is the Death Star because that's no moon, that's a space station. <laughs> exactly. In fact, at that point where the traitors—I don't remember if it was actually the High Administrator's son or someone else aligned with him—but when they they blow up the Federation space station, I actually heard that spider saying now i will show you the power of this fully operational death star yes because <laughs> it was exactly like that allow me to out. show you the power of this fully armed and operational battle station <laughs> exactly. fire it will That's commander <laughs> fire it will spider <laughs> oh goodness yeah it, it is pretty funny um there are a few things in here that are very uh star warsian um yeah you know I, one of the things is is we kind of go on you know you, you get to introduce i thought it was really cool is the fact that this does begin at the beginning of of you know kirk's time on the enterprise and so we are getting to see that first time when he meets ohura and and sulu i thought that was great kind of seeing sulu in that um, biology role in the beginning that he was in right when he first was on the on the series and what was also really interesting was was just watching um kirk deal with this situation uh, at the beginning here and then watching him deal with the situation at the end of the comic, because, you know, this is the beginning of his mission for five years and then the end and seeing the kind of subtle differences in the way that he handles things and people what was interesting. And, uh, of course, in the beginning of the story, you know, he has Kelso and he has um, Gary Mitchell with him and they're very close friends of his. And then, of course, he ends up losing them, mm-hmm. uh, obviously. And it's it's really interesting to watch then. Those two guys really get replaced by Spock and McCoy and how his interactions with them are different. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's a neat story. I, I just love the way that it starts that to tell the the, the final mission, we're going to go back to the first mission. Right. And it's the final mission of the five year mission as well, because when they talk about it's the final mission of the Enterprise at first, my mind immediately went to the end of the undiscovered country where the right. Enterprise truly is being put right. in for decommissioning. But it's not that. It's the final mission of the original five-year mission right. that they're going on Exactly. Here. Yeah. It's the final countdown. <laughs> We're going to sing that on every show. <laughs> so... One thing while we're on that page that we were just talking about, they've got that scene here with Uhura and their the Death Star is on the screen you talked about, but they have like these images on the square computer screens like they use on TOS on the desk. They've got that image of the, the spider guy right here. Doesn't it look just like Muffet from the original Battlestar Galactica? Except it really does. Yes. Four eyes. Um, <laughs> eight legs. Yes, it actually really does. I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> um, it does look like throwback it's to that. Exactly um, what I thought of. Like, oh, there's Muffet with four eyes. 
and eight legs. Yeah, one of the things I thought, Chris, was really interesting in this is that, you know, the these spiders, they want to be made part of the Federation, and yet mm-hmm. they um, have this underling species that they call the crawlers, which are basically look like centipedes, mm-hmm. um, that, that they treat as pets, they kind of eat as food when they want to, um, those kind of things, and the idea of... of you know, can you have a sentient species, sub, you know, being subservient to another in the Federation? We don't ever really see that at all. And and so I thought that was an interesting thing that this comic kind of deals with, that idea of, you know, to be a part of the Federation, you can't be involved in any kind of uh, slavery or, you know, bias towards another on your own planet. You have to be united and uh, mm-hmm. they really play that up, that idea. And then, of course, that becomes a prime directive issue later on in the yeah. comic. So I thought that that was a really interesting thing to kind of see them deal with because it's very TOS to kind of deal with those kind of issues. It is. The high administrator of the spiders talks about how they there's that scene where he's addressing the Federation Council. And he says that we've made changes to our society to allow us to enter the Federation. We've banished duels and vendettas. And it reminded me of talking about it being a TOS thing, Shadows on the Sun, where the same thing in that society where they had moved beyond the vendettas and the the honor killings. So um, one of the things, Chris, you know, uh, as you just mentioned, you, uh, you jump four and a half years later in the story and uh, you are at the Federation Council where the spiders are asking for membership into the Federation. Um, you get a nice cameo of Sarek. And the biggest cameo, though, that I thought that was really interesting was watching that Section 31 shows up in this comic. Um, okay. I which they always seem this. to jump in somehow. They do. And that's what I wanted to ask you. So there's this character more. And initially, he just implies that he's Section 31. He says something like, the section that I'm associated with has a great interest, la, 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 la. And then it plays out a little bit more towards the end. Although I think they only mention Section 31 by name once in the actual dialogue. But as soon as he pops up, you know he's Section 31. And my question to you, we both like Section 31. Um, I, I like the idea of Section 31. I think it adds a realism to Star Trek that needs to be there. And I really like the use of Section 31 in the first half of Into Darkness as well. The question is, do you feel like Section 31 is overused? It's almost like these days, and by these days, this comic is in 2009. So let's just say since the end of Enterprise Forward, Everyone wants to use Section 31, and so they just keep popping up in every story in some capacity, and their role in this story is really, really minor. And I think sometimes it does a disservice to the idea of Section 31 to involve them in like every situation. You know, um, this story, I would say I don't feel like that, but I do understand completely what you're saying um, because I feel like what uh, the Federation is worried about on this planet is this idea of this heart of God, which mm-hmm. is the most powerful power source known 
to exist so far that they found. And it could also create weapons of not just mass destruction, but in, I mean, I don't even know what you call ultimate destruction, um, pretty much. Total I mean, destruction. Exactly. Uh, you know, it might not be the Death Star. Maybe we'll call it the Hurt Ball. Um, uh, the Hurt Ball. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's something that if fell into any other people's hands, the Federation would be worried for its own existence. And this is one thing, too, that really comes up in the comic, is the idea of, of self-preservation. And Spock has to deal with this as well. Uh, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few and, and the logic of everything and how, you know, honestly, pure logic without any kind of uh, values or reason behind it pure logic can lead you to any conclusion it really can and it can lead you to horrible conclusions as well sacrificing people you know all these kind of things so um that part really gets dealt in this comic and i think that was really cool to see that so, uh, such a kind of a big moral quandary type issue gets thrown in here as well um and so you know the fact that section 31 the federation council uh, and even in some way, uh, the the crew of the Enterprise uh, having to deal with this idea of what happens if this, you know, hurt ball gets in the wrong hands. You know, uh, we don't really want anybody else playing with this because the Federation, at least, is going to have benevolent plans for it. Whereas, you know, the Klingons, the Romulans, anybody else getting their hands on this. Uh, the Orions who show up later. I mean, yeah. goodness, there's just no telling what could happen with uh, this kind of thing in their hands. Well, the Federation is going to have benign plans for it unless Admiral Marcus gets his hands on it. And then. That's true. Hopefully that does not happen. Um, and so that would be great. <laughs> but uh, so on the Section 31 thing here, then, okay, that's a good point. And maybe Section 31 would have worked better for me in here if they had explored that a little bit more because more shows up in that chamber where you know we find out that the son of the high administrator wants to assassinate his father so that he can take control of the planet here and he doesn't want the federation to be there we find out about section 31 then but then for the most part i felt like anyway that more kind of disappears until near the end. And then there's the one scene where we know he's on the Enterprise. And maybe I would have enjoyed the Section 31 angle a little bit more if they had played it up a little bit more and they had involved mm -hmm. that character in the story more than they did. So it didn't yeah. feel so much like a cameo, but it felt more like an integral part of the story. Yeah, that part I agree with you. Um, I yeah. think that's... One of the things I did like, though, too, is that, uh, you know, the Enterprise is, has followed the, the spiders back. They're going to go and they're going to be part of the Federation. So the Enterprise is going to, to help that transition happen. And then there's a coup very quickly on the spiders uh, world here. And they destroy the space station that looks a lot like the K-7 space station um, that's in mm -hmm. orbit that the Federation has built. Um, and it really just lets you know how dangerous this um, this place is, which I liked. I thought it works really well for the story for them to kind of give you a visual representation just what um, 
the Federation is worried about this falling into the wrong hands. I thought that was really wise to give us that because otherwise, if that doesn't happen, I don't know. You know, you, you this, I don't think that I think they really ramp up the the fear level at that point and give you um, a good reason for worrying about okay what happens if this falls into somebody else's hands whether it's you know Klingons Romulans Orions whoever um, that's just not going to be a good thing well they need to demonstrate it right you can talk about how much power is there all you want but that only gets you so far and just like in Star Wars again because this really is this hurt ball really is like the Death Star the Empire has to demonstrate the power of the Death Star in order to prove its point to the rebels in Star Trek you know, the Zindi send the prototype weapon to attack Earth. That's how humans realize how high the stakes are in stopping the Zindi weapon. That's also what gets the attention of the Andorians who want to get their hands on the Zindi technology in Enterprise. And the same case here with the, now the Orions, they want to have their hands on this. And if you go to Genesis, the Klingons see the power of Genesis and they want to get their hands on Genesis. So Genesis, the Zindi weapon, the Death Star from Star Wars, we are crossing over, but we'll keep my little pony out of it. We'll just go to Star Wars. <laughs> and and then this, a lot of similarities here in the storytelling and, and demonstrating the power and, and what the consequences would be if they, like you said, allow it to fall into the wrong hands. Well, and then it's really interesting because, um, you know, Kirk is able to crash into the administrator's area. He's able to stop the coup. And then he says, look, we're, we're back on schedule. He gets his, his um, orders from Starfleet. We're going to move forward with them, become part of the Federation. Uh, he sends Bones out on the survey mission to look for this special plants that will help with Blake's disease. Blake's disease, which was really interesting because I thought, oh, now they're throwing another thing in here. And then my first thought, well, my very first thought was, is Blake's disease what McCoy had in For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky? Because he keeps talking in this comic about going and spending some time on Yonada. But actually, what he had in that episode was something called xenopolycythemia. It doesn't actually have the name Blake's uh... disease. And yeah. I'm not aware of... Xenopolyphinemia, yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I got, had a quick case of that, but I, got, I just yeah. rubbed some, you know, cream on it. It was good. Yeah. You got some some anti-XPC cream, right? That, that <laughs> knocks it right out. It does. Which apparently is made from a plant here on this Archer and R4. But my second thought was... So I... I'm not aware of Blake's disease ever being mentioned in Star Trek up to this point. So it's just one of those convenient things where let's just make up the name of a disease and send everyone out to find a plant that can cure it. My second thought was, how are there native plants that have properties to cure interstellar diseases growing on an artificial world that was created as a space station? Yeah, I... You've got me. Uh, the <laughs> giants that Matthew. created this, you know, um, they were they botanists. brought them with them. They were yeah, giant they were, botanists. Yeah, exactly. That's what it was. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably the answer. 
Um, so you, <laughs> so what happens is, is that you, you know, you get this separation. Kirk and Spock and Cassidy, who's now an ambassador, are a part of the ceremony for um, uh, them becoming part of the Federation. Bones is off, but unbeknownst to Kirk, Bones has been taken away by the crawlers who bring him to their lair. And then mayhem ensues. I mean, everything just starts to go insane at that point, um, which I, I really liked um, watching this part of the comic because you start to see Kirk become this guy who would want to be an admiral. You start to see Bones be the guy who, if Kirk's not there, he doesn't want to be a part of Starfleet because he doesn't trust anybody else to bring him home. And then you get to watch Spock be the guy who his plan he thinks would be best gets totally undermined by what Kirk ends up doing. And it leads him to realizing that he he feels like his emotion is getting in the way. And I thought that this is just a really well done section of this comic, these last uh, couple of issues, mm-hmm. because it does, it, it sets up this mission's end and it creates a really good ending point to where you can understand. I, I think felt like the first time. Okay, Kirk wants to be an admiral because he actually thinks he could make a difference. You know, he is leaving the chair, which he will tell Picard to never leave, because that's where you right. make a difference. Because he thinks he'll actually be able to make a difference as an admiral, which right. I thought it's- was really smart. Right. It's an important character moment here for Kirk. And in the beginning of the story, I don't think he wants to become an admiral. He even talks about the fact that Admiral Nogura has been, quote, ding, ding, there's my quotes for you, threatening him with an admiralty. And he doesn't really want it. But I think the events of the story lead him to conclude, as you say, that he needs to be there to prevent these kind of decisions from being made in the first place because he is, I think, incorrectly assuming that he can make a difference there as opposed to here because here he has to follow those orders and he may not believe in them. But as Bones Mm -hmm. points out to him, I think correctly, if you're in the captain's chair, you can do what you've always done, which is to make the decision in the field not to obey those orders if you really feel right, that they're exactly. wrong. And, and as we go through the films, that's where we see Kirk come back to. He realizes that being an admiral isn't where he can make a difference. And I think that that's one of the things that just, for me, really sells this comic. And I don't know, I guess, Chris, I'm feeling like a, a little trepidatious. I don't want to talk about too much of the end because I don't want to give it away for everybody who right. hasn't read it before because yeah. this really is, I think a great uh, story and I love the way that it all wraps up. You know, you talked about, you know, kind of throwing in section 31, the Orions and all this stuff, but on a whole, I think it really does work pretty well. Um, You know, we've read some pretty bad comics, um, Avalon rising. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to mention it. (laughs) Uh, It's got to be mentioned. In fact, I think that's part of our uh, literary tricks drinking game. Every time I mention uh, Avalon rising, you take a shot. Yeah, I think so. And so, but, but um, yeah, there's a lot going on here and a couple of other items I do want to talk about without giving away the ending or anything. 
first of all, the part where the crawlers take McCoy away mm-hmm. is important because it's at that point that we see that the crawlers can speak and we start right. to find out that they yeah. are sentient. And we find out why that's the case as we go on through the comic and we won't spoil that part for you. But what we do find out here is that's where we see that there does seem to be some sort of oppression going on here or some sort of slavery going on here as opposed to these being presented more like they're horses or, you know, camels or something that we would use here on earth as transportation or something. Or in uh, some ways the kind of the willing denial that they are sentient, you know? um, Yeah. You get that feeling too. Yeah. yeah, That that they, yeah, they're just willing to say that they are not, uh, which I think is really interesting. Right. The other point that I wanted to mention is that, as this comic goes on, it really turns into a very transparent analogy for Holy Wars on Earth. But by the fifth installment of this five-part comic, you're really getting down to exactly what it is. You know, the high administrator has lost his son. You've got these two factions who both have their own ideas of what this heart of God energy source is. And that's where you realize why it's called the heart of God in the first place. And there's also, they bring into it the sight of God as well. And then, you know, the the way the way it ends has a very, without giving away the, the twist of what happens here at the end, the way it ends does have a very, very strong spiritual component to it that you don't really feel so much through the first maybe two-thirds of this story although you kind of see that it's leading that way. And then right. they really go all out in the final installment on that. What did you yeah, think about they, that angle of the story? Um, you know, I thought it was really interesting. And I, I think it was, um, you know, it's not anything that offends me or whatever. It's something that has, has, um, has been a problem for humanity of, of mm-hmm. um, using God's name to do horrible things any god's name you know i you know there's plenty of gods around the world that have gotten called in and when you need a convenient thing to say i need to destroy these people so and that that's uh it's something that they they deal with really well here i think in the story um not doing anything i think to step on toes but just to point out the um where the breakdown of communication really happened between these two Mm-hmm. Uh, species and uh, the denial you know I mean you can really see that that kind of Nazi-ish denial of the the crawlers personage uh, the same or the the same way that the African Americans personage was denied all of those kind of things all those illusions I mean today's Martin Luther King Day so you know think of all of those illusions all those things that have happened in in the history in our history um, and you see them kind of just poured into this. And so, yeah, you can pick out certain things, but it's a, it's Mm a, it's a good reminder of just what can happen. Um, And uh, especially when communication doesn't happen, when we don't listen to one another and we're willing to uh, actively deny um, the beinghood of something else um, and not respect life in the end whatever that life is. 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, the, and the disrespect for life, I think, is really dangerous. Definitely. And they're able to come to a resolution to issues in a way that we have yet to find a way to do here on Earth. And, right. But also the very ending of the story was interesting to me as well. And it reminded me in a few ways of the ending of The Nine Billion Names of God, if you're familiar with that short story by Arthur C. Clarke. That one I'm not. And it's very interesting the way that it ends as well. It has a, obviously a religious component to it in sci-fi wrappings. But, you know, overall, I, I did find, I found this to, it would almost make a good movie. And it had a movie feeling in the way that they split Kirk, Spock, and McCoy up, which is what happens in most of the films, right? Sometimes they get paired up, but they're like rarely ever actually together. And at the very least, definitely it had a great episodic feel to it. Oh, and they did one thing that when I saw this, I said, oh, Matthew's going to be so happy. After you've gone like 60, 70% of the way through here, and then there's a scene where the view screen pops up and there's A-Rex on there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, you have to have A-Rex if you're going to do a Star Trek TOS comic. It's it's kind of a, a must. In fact, I think that's probably a TOS comic drinking game as well. <laughs> I think so. Uh, original series drinking game. Um, is that once A-Rex shows up, you take a shot. But in this one, you get to do a double shot because Maress is there as well. That's right. That's right. So they throw in everything in the home cat. Only thing we're missing is Lieutenant Horta. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That would be awesome. (laughs) Which we talked about on the ready room this week, by the way, when we did the Devil in the Dark. We we talked uh, about yes. Hortas serving on starships. Yes, excellent. Well, Chris, um, if you had to kind of give an overall rating and everything for um, Missions End, what, what do you think you'd go with? Overall, I really enjoyed it. I thought the artwork was really nice. I thought the character likenesses were pretty good. It's not the style that we're accustomed to with ongoing. You know, it's a different artwork style, but I thought it worked quite well. I like the fact that they're able to tie the beginning of the five-year mission in with the end of the five-year mission, and in both cases, show us Kirk in time periods that we've never seen before, that they kind of just fill in some small blanks for us. And there's a lot going on here, whether you want to think about slavery issues, whether you want to think about, of course, civil rights, whether you want to think about religious conflicts, whether you want to think about, you know, the science behind black holes, they're in here and energy sources and such. There's just a lot of interesting stuff in here. And you've got Orion's as well. So this is definitely worth a read. And even though we talked about a number of plot points, believe us, you don't know how this ends. So definitely you can pick it up and really enjoy it. I think I would probably give this one Eight looming promotions. Oh, that's a good rating, I think. I like that. <laughs> Chris, I, I, I love this comic. Uh, I forgot how much I really liked it. Um, the story does seem like it's outlandish and silly, I think, as we're talking about with these spiders and everything. But I think the way that it's done, the respect that it's given, um, the, the seriousness of the storyline and the tone, um, what they're doing with the characterization of, of Kirk, Spock, and, and McCoy... 
all of these things work together so well to create a comic that feels like you are watching missions end for the five-year mission and um it is it is definitely something i think that everybody should check out this is totally worth the buy go get this on comiXology pick up the i mean i've got the the paper version you know the the real version, it's fantastic. Like you said, the artwork in here really is beautiful. Um, almost always the character likeness is very good. Just slightly stylized with the comic. Um, yeah, I, there's nothing really about this comic that I, I don't like. And, uh, I mean, you even get this nice Ambassador Cassidy backside shot, too. Which, <laughs> you know, apparently Star Trek comics are... I mean, you can't not have these. I don't... Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. I was wondering if you were going to count that one because I was going through and I'm like, we haven't really gotten the ass shot yet. This one might qualify. I wonder if Matthew will count this one because it's the only yes, one. Yes, it is. It <laughs> is. But all in all, this this really is a, a fantastic comic. I, I highly rate this. I, I'd give this, oh, let's see. I'd give this nine out of 10 Ambassador Cassidy's. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, really high rating. I, I think that this is one that everybody should enjoy because it, to me, it's it's what a good Star Trek comic should be, and uh, it's a it's a real benchmark, I think, for me when I think of what really good Star Trek comics look like. Yeah, it really is a story. It's you know worthy of a book, not just a, a simple story for comics. I really enjoyed it as well. Well, Matthew, Mission's End has been fantastic, but you know, it's not the only thing that we've been talking about here on the network this week. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, the orb. The mirror universe. I think I think that, that Cisco got I mean, he went to that universe, he was like, It's been a while. I've always wanted to sleep with Dax. Here we go. The ready room. Kishara. We never got to see what it looked like from McCoy's point of view, to have Spock's Katra within it rattling around in his in his brain. And I think it was at least cool to see from Archer's point of view, having a having a Vulcan philosopher uh, you know, sharing brain space with him and, and kind of interrupting his day with if, if inspirational screensavers. Decade. Battleship Royal Rumble. As at any contest it gets harder as it goes on, and so it was reasonably easy to start with, but I don't think, you know, the sh- was for you. Yeah, the, the, the ship Tom decided to come in was very good. To the journey! Star Trek Las Vegas recap. And that might have been when he bought his costume, because he came up later for another panel with William Shatner and Kate Mulgrew in a captain's uniform TOS style. <laughs> I'm not saying it happened, I'm just thinking. Commentary, Trek stars. Bid time return. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going to hypnotize myself. This seems like a reasonable method. I mean, that to me is almost like someone saying, like watching Back to the Future and saying like, yeah, I'm going to build a time machine out of a DeLorean. Warp 5. Directing Enterprise with Robert Duncan McNeil. They slipped and started sliding down like a slide. And it was very hard for us to figure out how to film that. And ultimately we ended up putting a bunch of dirt on the floor and turning the camera sideways and dragging them across the floor. So all those real tight shots of them sliding down is really just them lying on the stage floor and being dragged 50 feet. Trek news and views. Someone to watch over me. The worst thing about the the 7 of 9 Chakotay romance is Jelly Ryan 
and Robert Beltram actually asked them, do you want us to do this in a romantic way as it's leading somewhere? And they said to him, no, there's no way you two would ever work as a couple. Literary Treks. From History's Shadow. Well, like, particularly for the UFO lore, uh, for lack of a better term, um, you know, I really wanted it to be as, as close as I could get to being right on. But, you know, obviously I had to make some concessions for the Star Trek take on certain events. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We've got new Trek Talk for you every day of the week. Some days we even have two shows for you, and you'll find them on iTunes, on Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox Zoom. You can stream from the website, download files from the website. We have many ways for you to get our shows, so go check them all out. And you can go to trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. And Matthew, you know, it's been quite a while since we had an iTunes review for Literary Treks, but we do have a new one this week by Liquid Cross. And Liquid Cross, I think we talked about Liquid Cross on, was it The Orb recently, where we we just knew that they were liquid, (laughs) right? Who left us a great review of The Orb there as well. And here Liquid Cross says that I was referred to this podcast by prolific Star Trek author Dayton Ward. Dayton sounds familiar, Matthew. I think we had him on the show just recently, didn't we? You know, I I feel like we did, Chris. I don't I know. I'll have like to go back did. and look in the archives. Yeah, I'll go find out when he was on the show. So, <laughs> But Dayton told Liquid Cross about the show, and it's quickly become one of my favorites, he says. Trek novels, comics, and other printed matter aren't given their due nearly enough. So an entire show devoted to them was a long time in coming. And I mean, that's the reason we started the show, right, Matthew, is that exactly people just don't talk about this side of the Star Trek franchise as much as they really should. And so we wanted to do that. Uh, Christopher and Matthew, the one-two punch hosting team responsible for the Orb and other Trek of Film shows. So we're a one-two punch now, Matthew, apparently. Oh, I like it. <laughs> they do an excellent job of examining the various entries in the greater Trek fictional universe. So what if it's not canon? Good stories are good stories. And that's exactly what you always say, right, Matthew? That is what exactly what I say. That's what it's important. That's what it's about. It is. And our hosts go in-depth about why they work so well in the Trek mythos. The same goes for bad stories. Drinking game, Matthew? <laughs> Avalon Rising! <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and they don't pull any punches in that area either. Here's to plenty more great literary treks on Literary Treks. So thank you, Liquid Cross, for that great five-star review. We really appreciate it. And to everyone else, if you enjoy the show, please go over to iTunes. It only takes about 30 seconds to leave us a written review and a star rating. And that actually does help other Star Trek fans, fans of books and comics, find the show when they search iTunes. So uh, we'd love to hear from you there. And also, besides iTunes... You can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there, and you can choose to send to Literary Treks, and that'll come to us by email. You can share your thoughts that way. And if you'd like to talk to other listeners, you can go to trek.fm slash forums, and we have a section there for the show, as well as books and comics. And you can join in the conversation there, and you'll find the post that we talked about that Matthew left there with the outline of things you should read to get ready for the fall. That's over at the forums as well. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, there's a tab on the right-hand side of any page. If you click that, you can use your webcam's microphone to record a message and upload it to us as an MP3 file. And then in social media, on Facebook, you'll find us at facebook.com slash trekafilm. And on Twitter, 
under username TrekFM. Now, Matthew, when you're not riding on the backs of crawlers and searching for a cure for Blake's disease, where can people find you? Well, you can find me um, on Twitter at MattRushing02. Um, you can also find us, as we talked about just a few minutes ago, doing the orb where we talk about Deep Space Nine. And then, of course, I've got my own blog. It's called 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Write about all sorts of different things there. So those are the places you can find me out on the interwebs. But, uh, Chris, when you're not caught in giant spy interwebs yourself, where can we find you? Oh, you can find me telling people how I don't like lemonade. I want a mint julep because I've just been, you know, <laughs> hanging out with bones too long. Now, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under the same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com, where I do talk about non Star Trek things, as well as some Star Trek things. And of course, we'll be talking about college football over there coming up very soon. Matthew, maybe you you need to come and do a guest college football post on my personal website, I think. We need to team up, SEC West Brothers. Yeah, the one-two punch. (laughs) That's right. We're the (laughs) one-two punch of the SEC West. (laughs) We should do that. Uh, You'll find me elsewhere on the network, of course, on The Orb with Matthew. You'll also find me on Tuesdays on The Ready Room, where we talk about all five live-action Star Trek series, movies, and some other topics, and Star Trek news. And Matthew, you're there with me very often on that show, as are many, many other hosts from all around the Trek Film Network and special guests, so check that out. And then on Fridays, you'll find me with Kate Walsh on Warp 5, where we talk about Enterprise, and we interview various people involved in the creation of the show and other parts of Star Trek as well. So check that out. Also, Matthew, before we go, we'd like to ask everyone once again to please support our sponsors for this week's show. First, there's Squarespace, the web's best hosting and CMS that makes it simple for you to create your own presence online, create your own space. Go there, try it out free for 14 days. I promise you're going to love it. No credit card is required. Just put in your name and your email address and you'll have access to all the Squarespace tools. And then when you sign up, use offer code TREK9 to save 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts. And we really thank Squarespace for their support of Literary Treks. Also, please visit trekfan.org. This is a great chance for you to come together with other fans to solve real-life mission objectives and puzzles. And you can win great prizes along the way. And it's a way for you to use your love for Star Trek, you know, to jump into action and help us move our world towards that Star Trek future. So support us and support TrekFan by visiting trekfan.org. And we really thank TrekFan for their support of literary treks as well. And one more thing. If you would like to personally support Trek FM and our programming, you can do that as well. Go to trek.fm slash donate. We have eight alien-themed badges and art prints there for you to choose from. You can mix and match. You can choose badges or art prints. And there are different levels of donations for you to make. And it's beautiful art that's done by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. And your contributions really help us out. They help us pay for production, storage, and bandwidth that's needed to bring literary treks to you every week. So we really appreciate your support. Go over to trek.fm slash donate and get your aliens today. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.